the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Joining me now is former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Mr. Secretary, welcome back to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Good morning, Hugh. It's great to be with you again today. We talked last on August 20th as the fiasco in Kabul was beginning to come into public view. Uh, Ten days later, after the catastrophe at the airport and after the catastrophe of the evacuation, what is your summary of what we have seen since July of 2021? Well, goodness, uh, this was a a date certain set, and the bad guys took advantage of it. Uh, Sequencing appears to have created a lot of risk, and now we can see. Uh, the pictures and the images yesterday from Dover Air Force Base with the dignified transfer of 13 amazing Americans. I pray for their families. Uh, we still are struggling today. We're less than 24 hours now from the committed deadline. The President Biden has been unwilling to move even by an hour. And I, I pray that we get uh, every one of our American military, American diplomats, uh, and, and all Americans home from Afghanistan, we do so in a way that's safe. I, I hope these next 24 hours or 48 hours don't bring more tragedy. Uh, I fear that what's uh, after this could be even worse. You've been watching the administration and the president respond, not respond, stumble, face plant for 10 days. Uh, could you conceive of anything being handled worse than the last 10 days have been handled? Boy, it's, uh, it's been uh, really unfortunate Unfortunate because the American people deserve better than this. The American people deserve American leadership who tells them, here's what's really going on, right? We've seen them make misstep after misstep in just the communications of this, right? First saying, well, we, we, we think we've got this many Americans. It's just been very confusing for the American people. We, we, we tried to make it always very straightforward. We had a couple missions there. One was to get our young men and women home when the conditions were right to do so. Uh, and second, to preserve the capacity to make sure that we were never attacked in the way that, oh goodness, uh, you know, uh, 12 days from 20 years on happened in New York and in Washington and Pennsylvania. Those were our twin missions. We talked about them often. We used every tool of our power to try to achieve them. And these last 10 days, we watched the administration create an enormous amount of risk that resulted in uh, the largest loss of death in Afghanistan in over a decade. Let me review, uh, Mr. Secretary, uh, the Trump administration policy on Afghanistan. Troops under your watch reached their height at 15,000 in September of 2018. There were 13,000 in country at the time of the Doha agreement in late February, February 29th of 2020. Was President Biden obliged either by the Doha agreement or secret protocol to reduce to zero, no matter the conditions on the ground, by tomorrow? No. And in January of 2021, when you left office, there were 2,500 troops in country and 18,000 contractors. Was he obliged by the Doha agreement or secret agreement to get rid of those 2,500 or those 18,000 contractors by a date certain ever? No, Hugh. In fact, 
we, we always knew that the numbers, the actual troop numbers, were con- conditions based. We, we and that, by the way, the, the the Taliban knew this, the Afghan government knew this, the Hazaris knew this, the Northern Alliance folks in the North knew this. Everyone with whom we were having conversations, with whom we were trying to get to the table, understood that we were going to preserve and protect America's interests. And so, the the deal had a May thirty first objective. It was conditioned on a series of commitments that the Taliban had made. It also had a series of commitments that the Afghan government had made about how they would behave as well. If those conditions were met, we were going to measure twice before we departed. And in fact, you, as you know, we wanted to get down as small as we possibly could, as fast as we could. You, you talked about the steps along the way. I think it was from 15 to 8,600, 15,000 to 8,600, then to about 4,500, then to just over 2,500 each time we measured we evaluated the conditions on the ground. We consulted with the military, made sure that we had the security levels right to prevent precisely what we've seen happen there. Uh, we would have loved to have taken one more step before we departed, but the conditions simply weren't right. President Biden was under no obligation to do so in the same way we were under no ob- Trump administration was under no obligation to do so. Um, he, he made this choice. He made this choice to put first September 11th and then ultimately tomorrow, August 31st, as the deadline. He appears to be unwavering in his commitment to doing that. In March of 2021, the president announced, President Biden, that it might be November before he completed the withdrawal. On April 14th, he announced it would be withdrawn by September 11th. Bagram was vacated on July the 2nd. On July the 8th, President Biden changed the departure date to August of 31st. Did that have any inevitability about it? Was there anything obliging him to leave and to change the date and to to act the way that he did? Oh, oh goodness, no, no. There, there was no obligation. the The obligation was to the American people and to securing America. No, there was there was no contractual commitment enforceable in any way. Right? Some suggestion that they were they were bound up to this or or even the suggestion somehow that the the reason the Taliban didn't attack is because we'd we'd cut this deal and they were going to honor the deal. Uh, the truth is we saw the Taliban break the deal during our time as well, Hugh. And when they did, we used American military might and American power to create the deterrence conditions, to create the space for us to continue to evaluate how to get drawn down as quickly as we could. Uh, this administration chose a different path. They put a date certain out there, not conditions-based. I, I guess I can't tell for sure, but 9-11 sounds like a date that has political and uh, op- about optics rather than military and American national security at its foundation. There was no obligation to do that. I, I don't know where that date came from. Uh, he's referred to this May date that was in the agreement, but, of course, he didn't get out by May. Uh, because he wasn't required to get out by May. And in fact, the loss of American life didn't happen in May. It didn't happen in June. It happened uh, as they were conducting a withdrawal that hadn't adequately prepared for how to sequence to get the American people out, our equipment out, and to make sure that we had security all the while executing that mission. On Sunday, National Security Advisor Sullivan appeared on the Sunday shows and discussed the timeline. Let's play cut seven. The whole goal here was to get U.S. military forces out of Afghanistan by September 11th. Whose idea was it to use 9-11 as the deadline? When the uh, decision was taken by the president to draw down our forces in Afghanistan, and he took that decision back in April, we had an impending May 1st deadline. 
at which point the Trump administration had negotiated the removal of all American forces from the country. The president asked his commanders, how much time do you need to be able to get out of Afghanistan in a way that you feel will protect the forces and allow you to execute a drawdown that also protects our allies as they were coming out? And they gave him a timetable of 120 days, of four months. And that is what has guided his decision-making about coming out of Afghanistan from the start, has been the tactical advice of his commanders on the ground, and that is how we will ultimately bring this mission to a close. So they didn't explicitly say 9-11, they said four months, and you guys all looked at the calendar and realized 9-11 was there and said, okay, let's try to do it by then? What we said was that the mission would end before the 20th anniversary of September 11th. That is what the administration laid out, and it was based on a 120-day timetable as briefed to the president by the commanders who felt that that was the appropriate timetable to try to execute the drawdown and the completion of the U.S. military mission in Afghanistan. Part of why I ask this, and I know you don't oversee everything, you're in charge of national security, but this summer there was the July 4th deadline in the hope of declaring independence from the pandemic. There's this 9 deadline where now the Taliban essentially is going to be back in control of Afghanistan on the 20th anniversary. Has there been any conversation about perhaps not using dates on a calendar to set White House policy anymore? Ed, I got to tell you, right now, what we are thinking about all day and all night, including every single hour of last night, how do we protect our forces at the Kabul airport against imminent threats from ISIS-K? And how do we get those remaining American citizens and others out of the country? That's what I'm focused on. That's what we're trying to accomplish here. And we are going to keep our focus on that until we get the job done. What is your response, Secretary Pompeo, to that exchange with Jake Sullivan? Well, I can't tell you precisely whether that's what the military told this administration. I suppose it's possible. I can tell you that for four years, we didn't talk about dates certain. The military didn't say, this is a date we can do X. We, we talked about conditions. We talked about what we will have to deliver. And so we were we were aiming to support the diplomats. The State Department was aiming to support the military in its effort to achieve the conditions that would permit us to take the various steps that we did, that I've talked about, the, the sequence to drawdown that we were engaged in. So when I hear them say that they were setting dates on a calendar, we know how risky this is. Bad guys see the dates, the bad guys act accordingly, the bad guys push and shove, and they recognize that once you've committed to this, once you have publicly stated that on this day and on this day certain we're going to leave, you can be pushed, you can be cajoled, and you can impose real costs on the United States, and their their ability to respond will be near zero because their focus has to be on hitting that target, that targeted date, rather than on hitting the conditions that will permit the execution of the mission that delivers on behalf of America. I, I must say, for, for four years first as CIA director and then as Secretary of State, I listened to the military as we thought about how to accomplish the twin missions of getting home and protecting from attack, uh, protecting the homeland from an attack from Afghanistan. I, I never once saw a date certain put in front of the President of the United States by the military or the intelligence community. Mr. Secretary, you do remind people you began the administration as director of the Central Intelligence Agency. Uh, do you believe we have the, quote, over-the-horizon capability to deter al-Qaeda and other terrorist organizations from operating effectively in Afghanistan now? Yeah, there's a couple of things worth thinking about as we consider how we manage our counterterrorism posture, not only in Afghanistan, but around the world. I know today we're very focused on Afghanistan, but we shouldn't forget a couple of basic facts. First, al-Qaeda operations 
the senior leadership of al-Qaeda today is not in Afghanistan. It is not in Pakistan. It's in Tehran. It is in Iran. It has been protected by the world's largest state sponsor of terror. So the al-Qaeda threat, its global operations capability, is headquartered in Tehran, Iran. We shouldn't forget that. We, we took an important mission. The CIA took a strike on one of those very senior leaders in Iran now just over, goodness, a year ago. We took him out. I hope this administration is focused on continuing to degrade al-Qaeda's capability. That will require work all around the world. Al-Shabaab in Africa, AQAP in Yemen, certainly continued work in Afghanistan. As for the specific case of Afghanistan, I don't know what the administration has actually uh, done to prepare for the capacity to deliver. Uh, we do have a set of capabilities that let us do counterterrorism operations without a substantial footprint on the ground. It is difficult to do in Afghanistan, but I hope they've left the tools and the mechanisms in place that we can have a sense of what's going on the ground there and the capability to go disrupt terror plots aimed at the homeland from Afghanistan as well as for threats from other radical Islamists, not just al-Qaeda, but certainly ISIS and the others as well, whether they come from Afghanistan, whether they come from Southeast Asia, or whether they come from Africa or Europe. This is an important capability that the United States has had built up over 20 years, and the, the willingness to commit to a date and pull everything out suggests that they haven't taken this adequate, taken the precautions with an, added, with an adequate level of seriousness. When I interviewed you at Langley, uh, for MSNBC, you talked about the men and women of the intelligence community and how devoted they were to their task and purpose. Do you think they have left in place the kind of assets and communication structure that would allow us to operate something there to give us an idea of what's going on there? I don't know. There's, there's always two things. You ask the right question. You ask the right question that day. It seems like a long time ago now when we were together out at Langley. Uh, you asked the right question. It's not just the right resources. I, I hope those are in place. It is also absolutely vital that you have the rules of engagement right. One of the things that we found when uh, the Trump administration began is that the rules of engagement for our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, as well as for our intelligence community, prevented us from taking precisely the kind of actions that can push back against radical Islamic terrorism. So we had to upend that. We had to give the rules of engagement that would let them protect themselves and conduct the operations that they needed to. We saw this with the caliphated ISIS, right? President Trump said, oh, we're going to go fix it. Uh, we saw it with the strike that we took on Qasem Soleimani. In every case, the president authorized our military and our intelligence committee to do the things that were needed, both from a resource perspective and from an operational perspective, to protect and secure American freedom. I hope you that what is now still going to be in Afghanistan is capable of delivering both the resources and the opportunity, the rules of engagement that will permit us to protect America and uh, the American homeland from threats that emanate from Afghanistan and the caves of Tora Bora. Now, Secretary, you have been personally criticized for signing the Doha Agreement. You have been the subject of a great deal of attacks by the publication and republication of the picture you took with Abdul Baradar and for the release of 5,000 Taliban not long after the Doha agreement. How do you respond to each of those, your, your agreement to Doha, the taking of the picture, the release of the, of the prisoners? Well, we were working on the two missions that President Trump gave us. He, he wanted this process. We call it the peace and reconciliation process, trying to take down the risk to Afghan women, Afghan civil society, by beginning a set of conversations no administration in history had ever had all the Afghan interests sitting around the table. We achieved that 
uh, four, three presidents before us had tried to do that. They tried to get this right, to get the Afghans to at least talk to each other. We'd started that process. It began with the Afghan government and President Ghani, uh, an incredibly corrupt official. It then uh, transitioned to conversations with the Taliban and with uh, other leaders in Afghanistan, including non-governmental organizations, women's groups, civil, civil institutions inside of Afghanistan. We were working to put them all together. And so we signed an agreement with the Taliban. We signed an agreement with the Afghan government aimed directly at protecting and securing American freedom and trying to create the conditions for Afghan peace. We, we always knew, Hugh, this was a multi-year, maybe a decade, maybe 20-year proposition. I, I think of Colombia with the negotiations with the FARC. But these conversations go on for years. But you have to begin them somewhere. And it's always with your adversaries and your enemies that you end up making peace. And so we began to work. But we, we never did this, Hugh. We never did this with a, a misunderstanding of who the Taliban was and their connections to al-Qaeda. We, we got them to promise to break with al-Qaeda, but we didn't trust that promise. We were requiring them to begin to deliver on that promise. And when they didn't, we punished them. We imposed real costs on them. This was a, an, an effort that was important. I'm glad we began down this path. I hope it will ultimately deliver some results that will make life better for the Afghan people. But uh, the conversations about how to execute on this mission will always focus on protecting America. We did that for the last, the last 14 months of our administration. We didn't have a senior um, American official attacked by the Taliban. This is something that was not because of a piece of paper. It was because of American power and President Trump's deterrence model that we had established. Uh, you said senior American. I think you meant a single American attack. A single, yes. No, we didn't have a single attack on America by the Taliban from February of 2020 till the end of our administration. So on Thursday of last week, former President Trump joined me on the air. He told me of a conversation he had with uh, Mullah Baradar. Were you in the on that conversation, on that call, Mr. Secretary? Yes, sir, I was. Who else was on that call? You know, I don't recall. It wouldn't surprise me if Ambassador Ryan was on the call, but I, I don't know for sure. I, I know that I was part of the call along with the president where he wanted I'd been talking with Mullah Baradar, and he wanted to speak to him as well to emphasize and reemphasize what I had told the Taliban about the costs we would impose on them if they didn't comport with the American demands. President Trump's description of that was colorful. Uh, do you recall the conversation, including a threat to uh, Baradar? Yes, I remember it well. It was a uh, it was a very direct conversation. The president was unambiguous about the way we would respond if they came after a single American. There was probably some colorful language, not uh, right for uh, FCC scrutiny, um, but suffice it to say, I, I don't think there was any doubt in the senior Taliban leadership's mind that the United States would respond in a way that would impose disproportionate costs on them if they attacked an American. Was the leader of the Taliban at the end of that conversation afraid of America using either Moabs or even weapons of greater impact than that? I, I am confident that he was very concerned we would use every American tool to protect our interests. Now, again, I want to go back to the release of the 5,000 Taliban in the aftermath of Doha. That's been widely criticized. It's not the same as what happened at Bagram in the aftermath of the collapse that we're going through. Who were those 5,000? Why were they released? So the, the composition of the 5,000 was a mixed bag. These were, of course, Afghan prisoners, as you'll recall, Hugh, as a result of uh, lots of conversations around the history of Afghanistan. The Americans didn't detain and hold prisoners there. Uh, these were Afghan prisoners. They were part of the conversation. The decision to release them was the Afghan government decision. We 
We watched it. There were a certain uh, number of folks that we made clear were unacceptable. So we drew lines about who could be released and who couldn't. Uh, I'm, I'm confident that there were bad guys amongst those who were released, but it was part of the process, part of the process to deliver on what would ultimately, we prayed, be uh, less fighting, a reduced civil war, better lives for the Afghan people. The people who have been released subsequent to that and in the collapse of our effort there, are they significantly worse than those 5,000? Do they include the, the worst of the worst? You know, Hugh, I, I don't know exactly who all's gotten out. We, we were very careful. We had a big list where we uh, black marked and said, nope, this person's not going to get out. You can't let this person out. Uh, the Afghan government honored that. They didn't release anyone that we had asked them to continue to detain. Uh, I, I'm sure that there were even worse actors that have gotten out as a result of the fact that now it's Katie bar the door and the Taliban is in complete control of the country. Now, not only will those actors be worse, but the capacity to monitor them and uh, respond to the actions that they take is now greatly diminished as well. The president, President Biden, has repeatedly stated that al Qaeda is finished in Afghanistan. Is that your belief, Secretary Pompeo? No, it's not finished, although I, I must say it from. Where we were in September of 2001, or even in uh, September of 2011, 10, just 10 years ago, we are in a much better place in Afghanistan. There were, when we left office, there were fewer than 200 al-Qaeda operatives inside of Afghanistan, some across the border in Pakistan as well. So there is substantial progress that had been made with respect to al-Qaeda. There is, that is absolutely true. Uh, but they're not finished. Uh, the Taliban are deeply connected to them. The Suraj Haqqani, who... Uh, we've been trying to catch for an awfully long time as a senior member of the Taliban team. Uh, there's a bunch of folks who are complicit in work that are on the other side in the Paki, Pakistani border as well. So, no, the, the risk from al-Qaeda remains, but we do have to keep in mind, not just from Afghanistan. This is a global organization headquartered in Iran. Former Secretary of State Pompeo, thank you for joining me again. Hugh, thank you, sir. Have a good day. You too. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 